Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and the founder at Boldside. Hey, Scotty. How are you? Hey, Shell. I'm great. We're back for part two of Career Breaks. Yes. So I got to tell everyone what happened with that episode because we sat down and we recorded this episode and then halfway through, my tech gear cut out. So then we've done a part two. It was amazing. (laughs) It was amazing. And then we were like, it stopped recording, (laughs) which has never happened before. But hey, we're back and we're doing part two. And the reason we've got you back on is because you've actually had two career breaks. Yes. So what we'll cover in this episode, we're going to talk about your second career break. And then I've got some questions from our Facebook community at My Millennial Money. And we're going to dig into some of those. So let's get into it. So, Scotty, your first career break, you went and travelled around Australia around 2009. And then... Fast forward, what year was it? Was it 20? A quick 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> a quick 10 years. So yeah. we fast forward 10 years to 2019. Yes. And you had your second career break. Tell us what happened. In the 10 years, it, well, I'll give you a quick <laughs> overview. Um, I ended up a few more years at Optus and then on to Microsoft and had a great uh, eight or so years there. And for a bunch of reasons, started to seek out um, doing something different other than a sales role that I've been doing for, you know, 20-odd years in sales and saw that uh, Microsoft enabled career breaks. So they actually had a policy there uh, where you could take some time off between, uh, well, actually any time, but what I looked at was between six and 12 months. And at the same time, I'd been doing a little bit of work uh, with a not-for-profit actually through our volunteering days and everything opened up and I spoke to my leadership there and talked to them about just what was on my heart and that I was thinking about taking a sabbatical. I, we, we sort of refer to it more as a sabbatical than a career break and talked to them about what I wanted to do. It wasn't to go and sit on the beach. It, it was actually to go and invest in um, some time into a not-for-profit and uh, they were really supportive again. So you were working in corporate, you're in sales and Microsoft and had this desire to I guess, have a change of industry from corporate to not-for-profit. Tell us about that. Look, honestly, it was probably less about change of industry without going down a rabbit hole. It was more about, for me, just a personal change. And it it possibly coincided with the whole turning 40 and stage of life. But yeah, I was just wanting to do something different. And yeah, that was probably a combination of life and work. And I was seeking out to, well, how could I put my hand to something um, totally different to what I've been doing for 20 odd years. And tell us about that discussion. So I know we've talked a lot in the last episode about how do you frame up those kind of conversations? Because I mean, you've, it's quite amazing. You make it sound like it's really very easy that you just approach them and say, can I take a break? Yeah. But you've obviously done a lot of work in the relationship building and in the trust with Microsoft to then enable you to have, you know, six to 12 months off. Tell us 
I guess, about what kind of led to that discussion? Mm. Yeah, well, actually, Microsoft does a lot of work. So they really, um, they really prepared the ground for it. They're fantastic with the development of their people. And they had been running a program, I think it was maybe 18 months earlier, uh, called Compete to Create. It was a guy called Dr. Mike Gervais and out of the US. And they did a lot of work with leaders across the business uh, around professional and personal development. Uh, and there was one particular thing that he focused on was coming up with your personal philosophy and did a lot of work on that to kind of firstly ask the question, do you have a personal philosophy? Which my answer very quickly was no. Uh, and then doing the work on, all right, well, how do you come up with that? What do you stand for? Who do you want to be? Who are you? Um, and so in doing that, uh, that was an opportunity to both work through that yourself, but then if you were comfortable to also share it with your employer and then for them and the leadership to help you step into that, uh, you know, as part of working for Microsoft, which was fantastic. So on the podcast, we talk a lot about values and fi- figuring out what are your core values. And I love that personal philosophy idea. I haven't heard of that before. How did you come up with, and can you tell us what yours is and how you came up with it? Yeah, yeah, um, I can. I can t- I'll tell you both. Uh, the first one is m- my personal philosophy is live generously, be courageous, always learning. Love it. Um, how to come up with it, it was really interesting. The, the process that he guides you through is seek out people either in your world or that you know of and what about them really strikes you and, and what, what do you admire about the way they live or the way they show up in life and, and work it backwards from there. It was identifying 20 people and then writing down the different attributes that you see in them that really resonate with you and then working backwards from there, like t- tying it right down to and. For me, I found it was a, both a combination of who I naturally am, but also who I want to become. And so it was a, I would say I, there was a part of me in that, in the, in the sort of three core pieces to my personal philosophy of who I am, but also who I want to keep trying to become in, into my life. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. And I can see the aspirational, like it is part of who you are, but there's an aspirational part of it too, because that would always be a challenge to live generously, be courageous and be always learning. There's an element of, a, of when I'm at my best, this is who I am and there's a yeah. challenge for us in that. Yeah. How have you, like have you found people to help coach you to become more of that or step into that more? Uh, yes, maybe not in a formal coaching way. I would say actually through podcasts I get a lot of value from, um, from listening to people and hearing their stories. I love biographies. Uh, and so just they're almost like little biographies that you get in a lot of podcasts that gives you a bit of a either a bit of a kick up the backside sometimes or real inspiration of wow that I love how they've chosen to do that or how they've done it so it, with all those three you're either you're either fully stepping into it or you're shying away from it and kind of every day is an opportunity to decide which one do you want to be do you want to be on the upside of it or laxing a bit uh, it, I think I'd like to adopt those as my own personal philosophy. I think the thing I love about that, Scotty, is it becomes like an anchor point where you can check back in and you're, when, especially when you're making big decisions in your career, you can look at those three things and go, hey, am I living generously? Or is this decision that I'm making a courageous one? Or is this a decision out of fear? Mm. Or am I learning or am I just stagnating? So you almost have this check-in process did you find like when you uncovered that philosophy, 
that kind of led to you thinking about, oh, well, I'd like to help a charity because that was part of that generosity mindset? Well, yeah, yeah. It, it, I decided to actually take it serious and say, well, how can I live out all three of these? And and the reason I, I guess, share that with you, Shell, is that was part of the conversation. So you asked originally, how did you frame that up? That was that was the conversation. We, we sort of talked through, where am I up to? How do I want to show up? Uh, there was some professional development stuff that we were talking about as well. And and when I tabled it, um, they were surprisingly supportive. And we had the conversation of, do you want it to be three months, six months or 12 months? And we agreed, take the 12 because you can always come back earlier. Okay. So you had you had a job lined up before this or, or what was the sequence? Yeah, good question. So when I learnt of the option for career break with Microsoft, I started to have that conversation. So it was Compassion was the organisation, um, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name is their mission. And I'd started to have the conversation uh, with a the gentleman there who was running part of that organisation and just said, hey, if if I was able to take some time out from Microsoft, um, would there be the right type of role here that I could come and contribute? And so we both approached it very tentatively uh, not tentatively, but just lo- held it loosely. And, and then I, I actually flagged it with Microsoft when I said, well, if I do take this time out, it won't be to it won't be to sort of sit idle. I'd like to go and work in this not-for-profit, which they were super supportive of. So good. So then you get this next job and tell us about that learning experience of going from corporate land where you've mm. been for the most of your career into a for purpose organization. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, I had I don't think I'd fully contemplated uh, what a change in perspective it would be, but I found I actually discovered through it that I was able to draw on a lot of skills that I developed over twenty odd years that I didn't necessarily know were in there, and so not not sitting in a sales role, but sitting more in a general business management type of role or, or not not management, but business operations type of role where I had the good opportunity to work across the whole organisation. Uh, yeah, there were just some innate skills in there that had been developed and then I had a chance to practice and to work through with other people in the organisation. And going back to your philosophy, you, you spent 12 months on that, I guess, career break moving from corporate, not-for-profit, working in a totally different zone. What was the big learning for you from that time? There's some, there's some real crackers. <laughs> there's some very big ones. I'm trying to decide how big do I want to share. Um, you know what the biggest one was, actually? It was that, and it took a bit of work to get there, if I'm super honest. It was that my work doesn't define me. Yeah, wow. And there was part of me... Um, you know, through that 12 months that I wrestled with my own identity of, I've, I was, I really loved my role at Microsoft and really enjoyed working for the organisation and still really highly rate them and felt, I, I guess I'd say felt quite proud of, of the organisation I work for. And it, it, it just questioning how much of what I did as a profession bled into who I am. Yeah, that is a deep learning, right? And I think it's something all of us have to confront. In our books or your career app, we have a bit of a focus on career risks. And one of the career risks we talk about is 
letting our work and our career define who we are because it's such a risk point when we get our identity caught up in what we do because if that job gets taken away from us through redundancy or through termination or whatever reason, what happens to our identity when we're so connected to say like a business or a role or a job title? And I think you're so spot on that the sooner we can learn that lesson, the better positioned we are in our career. Because it's this funny thing. I don't know if you found this, Scotty, but this is what I've seen in my own career. Sometimes the tighter we hold on to something, the more likely we are to lose it. But when we're kind of open-handed with opportunities and we're like, well, you know what? I'm not going to attach my sense of self-worth or my value. I'm just going to treat that lightly. The better opportunities come along. I don't know if it's like some kind of weird law. Yeah, it sort of feels like a universal principle a bit, doesn't it? In (laughs) life in general. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, at what point did you have, has that been a common theme for you? Because I'll go deep then in response to what you what oh, you shared. <laughs> For me, I've often found that you have these common themes or recurring issues that you have to face in your job. And me for, personally? No, or? You, well, me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I'm sure the same is for you. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's go there and see what happens. For me, I, I find I have struggled with that idea of my identity is found in what I do and that, you know, when you go to like a wedding or a, Mm. event and you introduce yourself and you're like, hey, I'm Shelley, I'm a HR consultant. <laughs> and it's like, like, you know, you don't introduce yourself yeah, like yeah. that to people. But yeah. so often the first question we ask someone when we meet them is, what do you do? Yeah. Instead of, and I think that's part of where our identity gets confused in the yes. work work we do. Like there's so many other things that we are before our job. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, and that's the, that's the deep work and the deep learning and probably more of the learning for me over that course of the year amongst many, many others. But I, I, I feel like that was one of the most valuable things. Yeah. So tell us you did this 12 months, then what happened? So then it was time to go back uh, and part of the part of taking 12 months. And so we, we did a six month check-in. I maintained close contact with Microsoft, but we got to the six months and I said, actually, I'm loving it. I really want to see this through. So we did. But part of that was they, they, they wouldn't keep an actual headcount role open. So you, I needed to find another role and apply for it. And so, yeah, going through that process of looking at different roles, uh, I then also opened the door to some other external uh, opportunities as well and actually ended up taking an external role uh, with a partner that I'd worked with whilst I was at Microsoft for a number of years. And I think had had I have not stepped out for that 12 months and done something completely different, there's no way I would have ever actually let go of a role at Microsoft to take this other to take this other step in the journey. So, you know, what what I'd worked through and discovered about myself and just risk appetite and again, kind of my my sense of what defines me or what doesn't define me, just gave me the freedom to go, actually, that looks like something really interesting. Building a business there, I'd love to get into that. How did you go, because it's also a big deal when your employer has been generous to you and extended you this career break, to then go, oh, you've kind of held something open for me. Uh, even though there wasn't headcount necessarily, you had to come back and apply for a, a different job. But they've, they've kind of extended you the generosity and then how did you feel making the decision to not go back? Was that a hard call or do you feel like it was just... It was a bit of a wrestle. Yeah, it actually was a bit of a wrestle. It, 
the other role was in a completely different part of the business. So it was, it would have been like starting a very new job again. Obviously you still have a bit of equity in the workplace because pe- you know people, they know you, uh, but it would have been a very different role, um, which probably made it easier. But yeah, it was a bit of a wrestle and it was even more of a wrestle, I would say maybe a month later when the whole COVID debacle hit. And I thought, what have I done? Uh, wow. Yeah, Microsoft would have been a really good place to be right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you so you did the year from 2019 to 2020 and then you landed that job with Willow, what, in March? Yeah, I started in March. 2020, so yep. right as COVID hit. Mm. Wow. And because that was a startup environment, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd... I mean, it's really interesting the number of changes over a short period of time, like leaving Microsoft, working, doing a year in a charity and getting this sense of purpose and uh, really being able to feel like you've had this opportunity to learn but also give back. Mm. And then you move to a startup, totally different dynamic again. Do you feel like you've always been someone who's responded, like been up for change or would you say you're someone that's more averse to change? Well, I did. I mean, I did the best part of I did 10 years in the first in Optus and then eight years at Microsoft. So even though different roles within, I was pretty comfortable doing like staying with the same organisation. So it's not something I've really sought out. I think I've got better at change. And I remember somebody in recent years, or maybe it's not that recent, just saying the more comfortable you get with change and being agile in change, then the better life will be. And so that is something I just tried to embrace as well. And I, and I think that's great advice, especially for now. Yeah. And one of the things we're seeing, I know I've spoken about this before on the podcast, is some of that research from McCrindle around millennials and Gen Zs will have between three and five career changes. And then I think it was something like, now don't quote me on this, I'll have to fact check this data. But I think it was something between 20 and 30 jobs over their lifetime. And you think about that of you know, when I first started in my career, most of my jobs I've had for, yes, six to eight years as well. So long-term jobs. Whereas now we're not seeing that. We're seeing more frequent change. I think some of the upside of that is we get more comfortable with change, but some of the downside is we miss some of those deep learnings that can occur by sticking out a job. Yeah. And I was talking with a leader the other day who was saying that one of the things and concerns they're seeing within their own workforce was around this idea of how do you stick with something when it gets difficult? Like how do you stick out those tricky times with an employer? And you've done that when, when you were obviously at Optus for a really extended period of time where you had some huge projects that you're working on and same with Microsoft. Was there experience you've, you've had where you've had to really dig deep and stick out a period of time that was difficult? Oh, totally. I would say all the way through actually. I mean, yeah, I, none of it's been, none of it's felt cruisy for me. There's been real highs and lots to be celebrated, but there's been plenty of moments through it where I'm like, oh, if I can just get to Christmas this year, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that feeling if I just get to this year. And and it's amazing how things do have a way of resolving. Yeah. But yeah, you got to get in the grit. I love hearing, Scott, of your two career breaks. First, to have that time with your family, travel around Australia. The next one, which is maybe what people wouldn't expect from a career break, but going from corporate, private sector to not-for-profit and having a chance to work in a purpose-driven organisation. There's so much gold in what you've experienced. What we're going to do now is kind of 
flip over into some community Q&A. So we've had from our My Millennial Money Facebook community a lot of questions. We're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to hit you with four of the big questions we've had from our community. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right, first one, Scotty, you've been a manager of people for some time and you've had people ask for a pay rise. When someone comes to you and asks for a pay rise, what are the things that help set that conversation up for success? I think one of the best techniques that I've seen would be to not wait for the time that you really need the pay rise, but to lay the foundation early. And so in your performance reviews, in your check-ins, actually put it out as an aspirational thing of, you know, built into your plan of development. You know, something else that's important to me is I'd really like to progress the my salary component or it might be bonuses or whatever, but just super practical. And then to invite your leader in to say, what would things need to look like? Like what would my role need to look like or my performance need to look like? Are there, are there additional things that I should take on or would my performance need to be different? Um, in order to be able to – that the organisation would see me as worthy of a, an increase in that salary. And so you're, you're sort of laying the foundation and then at the appropriate check-in, to, that becomes part of your check-in. How am I tracking towards that? So good. Oh, I just love it. I love that in that you're, you're setting the conversation up for a win because you're not asking in the moment when the stakes are high, especially for you if, if you're – if you've been wanting a pay rise for a while, often what we do is we, we kind of put it off in hopes that our manager will identify it for us so we won't have to have that mm. complex discussion. I love how you're framing it because you could almost set it up 12 months in advance. So thinking about your pay situation is a long game because often your employer can't make a decision quickly on pay because once they increase it, they can't, they can't move you back down. It's not like it's got a significant financial implication for the business. Yeah. So having that long game approach and thinking about it maybe 12 months out from when you might need it can be the game changer for setting that manager up to make make a easy decision later on. Yeah, and there's, there's practical, as you say, Shell, there's practical elements to it as well. It's not in everyone's remit or, or they're not able to instantly give a pay rise. Whereas if you're aware that somebody's flagged it with you, it's important to them 
and you've been tracking their role and their development and their performance in line with that, then the next budgeting cycle, you're able to go, well, I know in my team, I'm looking across my team and well, this, this one we've definitely looked at and I've been mindful of it over X period. So they're a pretty good chance of getting it as long as they've you know, performed accordingly. The other thing I love in that approach is often we forget as employees, our manager, when we invite them to help us, most most managers want to help you. Mm. Like so if I was to come to you, you're my boss, and I was to say that, the natural inclination when someone asks for help of going, hey, I, this is one of my goals. One of my goals is to increase my salary by X. One of my goals is to eventually become a head of people and culture. Once you know that, your desire is as a general good person, how do I help Shelley do that? Well, I'm going to give her honest feedback. I'm going to help her get some training to develop those areas. And it starts this kind of snowball effect almost of how do we progress? How do we help Shelley get to where she wants to go? And I'm talking about myself in the third person, which is especially weird. <laughs> Shell, just to get you out of the third person, um, <laughs> the other aspect to that is I think is where it's done really well is when they when the person turns it into for the company. So it's not all about me and my pay rise. It's what would I need to do for the company? What would I need, like what would it need to look like? What, where are the needs in the business that I can contribute to or do more of or differently? It just yeah. it balances the conversation. Yeah, definitely getting out of that me mindset or that entitlement mindset. Yeah. I think when people come at these conversations with a sense of entitlement, it automatically gets the manager on the back foot. So it all makes them feel defensive because ultimately you're there to, to benefit the business. Yeah. Like you're paid a role to get something done for the business. Can I just ask a follow-up question for that? Because I know people are going to be interested. Let's say that I have, you know, done the steps of, you know, six months, nine months out. I've had some of those conversations with you as my boss. What then would you expect from me when I get to, okay, now we've, I've laid the groundwork well, I'm going to actually go and formalise my request for a pay rise. I actually probably, I, I wouldn't really expect you to formalise it. I would think that if we were doing a proper performance process where you're doing those regular check-ins and you get to the annual review, that that would actually take care of itself. It, and if it didn't, well, as a leader, I should have been catching it back down the trail. So, you know, that first quarter or second quarter or third quarter, I, I should have been saying, hey, you know how we talked about this was your aspiration and we talked about these were the additional things that we needed to do or, or this is where I wanted you to work on, you know, improving. Well, actually it's not, you know, it's falling a bit short. I'm sure you'd come up with some more elegant words, but <laughs> there's some area for development there. So it wouldn't be a surprise, but if they were performing and it was all going great, then that conversation's already been had. As a leader, you're going to be mindful of that. How do I make sure people are getting paid what they're worth in market and according to their role and their contribution? Such good advice. Next question I'm going to hit you with from Trent's, what to look for and how to find a potential mentor? Yeah, good question, Trent. <laughs> look, I've struggled to keep a mentor. Like I, I think I've had more unofficial mentors and they've often been uh, leaders in the workplace. So I, I just put that out there to say, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that. But with that, I would say kind of comes back to almost around that coming up with your personal philosophy of how do you want to grow? What areas you, do you want to be more proficient in or, or have your life reflect? Look for people that you see that in. And I guess there's some practical elements to it as well. 
uh, make sure that they've actually got, they're prepared to invest some time with you on a regular basis and, uh, you know, ask them up front. I, I would like to journey a little with you and I'd love some honest feedback and to unpack some things with you on a regular occasion. Would you be open to that? But I think as far as looking for one, just you want to find people that are living life the way that you would aspire to do it in the future. Yeah, and I, I love going back to what you said before, Scotty, about who do you want to become? Mm. And if you look at those people in your life that are a bit further along, and that doesn't have to be age, mm. it can be that they're further along in a particular skill that you want to develop, find those people and you don't have to go super formal on this. Like mm. it, I think sometimes we can frighten away a potential mentor by trying to go right. too deep too early, like going up to someone who's a complete stranger and saying, hey, would you catch up with me and, you know, talk to me about how you develop this, this and this. And then all of a sudden they feel like, oh, this is going to be a huge, huge time commitment. commitment. Maybe that's what I've been doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Can you commit two years of your life to me? Yeah. But instead saying, hey, I'd love to pick your brain about yeah. this. Could I uh, chat you lunch one day and we catch up? And then you're actually starting, seeing it as the start of a relationship rather than needing, like you said, to have this formal mentoring engagement that's not, I don't know that that's, um, always feasible. That's really good, Shell. That's really good. And t- just as you say, start of a relationship. I think that's the best mentoring when there's a relationship developed. The other thing I'll just add is uh, you don't need to look for the person that's got it all. There's not many of them out there. So find, it might be one attribute of their life. It might be professional, it might be personal, whatever, and seek that out about them. It doesn't need to be uh, you know, the ideal. Totally. And I, I keep going back to your personal philosophy, thinking those three areas are like live generously, be courageous, always learning. If we have our own personal philosophy or your own value statements, you can almost go, how do I find a person that does one of those areas really well? And just focus in on that. And if it, it could be the thing that's the biggest gap for you right now. So if you do that self-reflection, you go, you know, one of the things I'm struggling with is being courageous who do I know that does that really well that I can engage with and connect with and just focus on that one skill for a period of time? Yeah, good. Okay, next question. We've got two more. What is the best or worst career advice you've ever received? I don't know whether I could come up with one bit of advice that's either been the worst or the best. Um, there's been something that served me really well Then that has been the sort of, I guess it's the approach that this current CEO of Microsoft brought in when he really came in and sought to change the culture of an organisation and has changed the culture of an organisation. And that was, um, it, the little mantra was create clarity, bring energy and get business results. And what I've learned in being a leader in business is one of the most energising things is when your leader gives you clarity clarity on the purpose, clarity on the mission, clarity on the on the game plan, that naturally brings energy for people into the workplace. And when people have clarity and they have energy, the business results follow. And it just seems like such a simple ingredient. And I, as I look at, you know, I look about it even in the year at not-for-profit, look about in my last role, um, it sort of applies across businesses. As leaders, I would think that's I'd probably think of that as one of the best. He didn't give it to me personally, unfortunately, but that's one of the best bits of advice that I've seen. Awesome. Last one. For anyone considering at the moment taking a career break, what encouragement would you give them? I would say do the the work, like look into it. 
look into it to understand the practicalities, so how you how you would go about that, how feasible it is for your current workplace. I think ideally if if you can do it where you've got that role or that employer to come back to, um, you know, like what we shared on the last podcast, Shell, around make sure it's a shared equity thing, like it's got to be a win-win for both. So look at the practical aspects and also think about it for yourself, like why do you really seek it? So what are the motives? Is it, is it just because you're actually just worn out and tired uh, and you, you, know, you might just literally need two or three weeks off of just taking a pause uh, or just a decent holiday? Or do you feel like you've come to a point in life where you actually really want to take a more serious break? What type of break is it? Is it a non-working? Is it a putting your hand to something different, which is a complete, it could be a complete reset? Um, so yeah, I guess my advice would be get a pen and paper, get some quiet time and spend the time, you know, working it through and getting it down, getting yourself clear on why you want to do it. What are some practical aspects to how you could enact it and then move forward. Don't, um, yeah, don't put it off. Final thing I'd add to that is do the work that you've done, which is that personal philosophy. Come up with those three things because that can then be when you take that time out to reflect and, and think about whether taking a career break is right for you, figure out that deeper stuff first and that then informs that decision. Definitely. informs how you go about making and taking a bit of that risk to have a break. I love hearing your story because you're almost letting us see the glimpse into you can take career breaks and it not impact your career trajectory and your career opportunities. So you've really helped us to, I guess, shine the light and and I suppose take away some of that stigma that often comes around Mm. taking time out of the workforce. So thanks so much for doing part one and part two with us, Scotty. You're welcome. As always, hey, if you like the show, share this with a friend who might be considering a break and give us a five-star rating review because we're needy and love feedback. And when I say we, I mean me. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for hanging out. See ya. Thanks, Shell. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.